It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Well, first of all, no one's sending balloons for Valentine's Day. President Biden should speak on camera directly to the American people today. So we go to great lengths to make sure that the airspace is clear. These objects have been flying over us for years. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. You all know I ran for governor, and um, yeah, please have... I, I did win, actually. Donald Trump is everything I taught my children not to do in kindergarten. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The Pentagon does not believe the unidentified flying objects are part of a Chinese spy program. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as senators call on President Biden now to address the nation following another classified briefing they received today. We will learn more from an expert military analyst, Ward Carroll, a former naval aviator who spent years intercepting Russian bombers at altitude. President Biden reshapes his economic team. We'll talk about the policy implications along with today's inflation data with Mark Zandi of Moody's Analytics. And as Nikki Haley makes her run for president, official will survey the landscape with our panel. Republican strategist Boyd Matheson, Democratic strategist Tim Hogan from ARK Initiatives with us for the hour. It's not every day we shoot things down in U.S. airspace. In fact, while it seems like a daily occurrence lately, it never happened before a week ago. And so that's why senators today received another classified briefing from the Pentagon. They've been demanding answers from the administration. And you better believe those senators spoke to reporters when they came uh, from their session. Here's Senator Marshall Blackburn, Republican from Tennessee. I think it is time for the president to address the nation. This is when we need to have an Oval Office address. And he needs to say, this is what we know. This is what we're doing. And that approach, that answer was, I think, fair to say bipartisan today. Listen to Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat from Connecticut. There is a lot of information presented to us this morning that could be told to the American people without any harm to sources or methods or our national security. And the American people need to know more so they'll have more confidence in our national security. That refrain was repeated over and over. I think it was Senator Tom Cotton uh, who said about 99 percent of what we heard in here today could, in fact, be made public. And a lot of it already was. As we turn to the terminal here, the Biden administration suspects that the three identified objects down since last Friday, all but the Chinese spy balloon. Were in fact not used for spying, served commercial purposes, were likely private. 
important details here. The intelligence community believes the objects, unlike, again, the big one, the big balloon, quote, could be just balloons tied to some commercial or benign purpose. That's what John Kirby said today. So we have a lot of questions about this, just like you do. And really looking forward to this conversation with Ward Carroll, retired Navy commander, flew combat missions, the backseat of the F-14, a Rio, a radar intercept officer. He was up there at altitude when they were coming face to face with intercepting Russian bear bombers, among other aircraft. That was part of the deal. Then he also helped to enforce the no fly zone over Iraq. He is now host of the Ward Carroll YouTube channel and with us here on Bloomberg Sound On. Ward, it's really great to have you. I, I'm I'm going to ask you what probably sound like some dumb questions. Hopefully they won't all be. Let me start with the real dumb stuff. If these latter three were not balloons, and by the way, uh, General Milley today referred to them all as balloons, just as an aside in, in his briefing. What does that allow? Things aren't just floating up there, right? That would have to be a drone or some sort of junk that, that carried no weight. What say you? Um, I, I don't think that's a ju- dumb question, Joe. Okay. I think that's the question, <laughs> right? And, and you know, I mean, f- for all you said in the uh, introduction there about my tactical experience, I don't know the answer. Um, and this is what's frustrating at all levels. And I've talked to a few of the other fighter bubbas, mm. uh, including former fighter pilot who was my pilot and astronaut Scott Kelly, uh, and the the opinions and the the ideas uh, vary widely. So, as you said, the only thing we know for sure is a week ago Sunday, we shot down a, uh, a, a what we think we're calling a spy balloon off the coast of South Carolina. I did an episode about that on my channel, um, and I thought, okay, that that's probably it. And then, again, as you said, in the next seventy two hours, there was one every day. <laughs> yeah. you, you couldn't keep up. You're like, you know. Um, Alaska, and then you hear Yukon, you may, and I'm like, yeah. you mean Alaska? Like, no, no, this is a different one. Right. And then the next day, it's like Lake Michigan. Huron. What? I'm like, you think, <laughs> you, you mean Yukon? No, no, there was another one. Right. Um, and so I've known John Kirby since he was a lieutenant. He was actually the PAO for the Blue Angels when I first met him. Wow. And uh, he's a, a, a Admiral Mullen man, as as I am. You know, he he served with Admiral Mullen all the way through his tenure as chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Great guy. Um, as we know, he's sort of an animal inside the Beltway. He's been all around, and now he he he's at the White House. And so when he's stuck for terms, we got an issue. We got a problem. And yeah. so he just sort of has been uh, punting on this thing that uh, we're calling it an object. That's all he could say. Listen and, to General Mark Milley convinced. today uh, on okay. this very same score. This Again, the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, referring to, he's talking about, by the way, uh, the fact that one of the missiles missed on the fourth object. He just runs through all four of them. Listen to the language he uses. Here's General Milley. The first balloon, the Chinese spy balloon uh, that went down over the Atlantic on the South Carolina coast, that was... That shot hit. Uh, the second one over uh, Alaska, on the north coast of Alaska, that one hit. Uh, the third one in, that landed in the Yukon, that one hit. Uh, on the fourth one over Lake Huron, first shot missed, uh, second shot hit. Okay, so he's kind of referring to them all as balloons there. A reporter later asked him, and he changed his language to objects. But let's talk about shooting them down here also, Ward. It took two missiles then. That means one of those uh, Sidewinder missiles ended up in the lake. The other one made contact with and and presumably destroyed or brought down uh, that object. 
Uh, those are heat-seeking missiles, right? The Sidewinder missile. What does that tell you about their choice of weaponry? Um, well, I think they're doing the risk mitigation. Um, you're not going to gun it. You're not going to shoot a, uh, a longer-range radar-guided missile like an AMRAM, an AIM-120. So mm -hmm. as we've, you know, I think the whole nation is now familiar with the nomenclature of an AIM-9. Yeah. And, and further, people are saying AIM-9X. You mean the X model, right? <laughs> it's now in the public consciousness. Um, and so it's got a proximity fuse, as we saw with the balloon. As soon as it hit underneath, it exploded in the direction of the balloon, took the balloon out. Very mm -hmm. small warhead. But to your question, if I'm in, and in that case, it was an F-16. The others have all been F-22s, the That's stealth right, fighter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, this one was an F-16, very widely used both domestically and, and internationally. I have some uh, flight hours in a Navy aggressor version of the F-16. It's a cool airplane. Um, but if I shoot a Sidewinder and it misses, and, and I mm -hmm. think that that one, that object was at 20,000 feet. Mm -hmm. So that thing's going to sail pretty far beyond. So let's just say it goes for another five miles before it hits the lake. Wow. And um, I can't answer whether or not a friend of mine asked whether it explodes when it hits. I, I don't know. Uh, so what happens when you're doing these is before you are authorized to shoot, the planner's put down a footprint over, you know, like over the area and you have a run-in axis. They did this off of South Carolina. The run-in axis was one, four, zero. So you're not going to shoot back towards the shore in the event that it misses. And, and so, you know, this is, this is where you're like, imagine you're in your backyard oh, with your son and, you, and you, you have an archery thing and your son sails one, you know, over the, the back fence, right? Like, Oh geez, where did that go? Uh -huh. You know? And, and, and that's kind of what we're, doing here and so the other thing that is curious to me as you hear the explanations from Admiral Kirby and General Ryder and now General Milley um, where they're like we don't quite know what it is so I'm a guy who's lived by rules of engagement very yeah. strict so it strikes me the rules of engagement here are shoot and then tell us what you think it was a few days later <laughs> wow. right i would have loved that roe joe back in the day yeah I you bet. know we, we would have been all over the place with that roe <laughs> been an ace um, on your so first day out. i i'm not quite sure what's going on i think we really have reached the uh the sort of ridiculous here and and again back to your original question i don't know the answer you flew uh in fighter jets for the navy and a lot of people have watched videos on youtube of naval aviators marveling at things that they cannot identify the pill-shaped craft that went faster and turned more quickly than anything that we could construct. Uh, Ward, I, I don't mean to ask you the, the wrong thing here, but did you ever see anything you could not identify? And, and is there some merging of stories here? Yes. And, and on both? your show, Joe, because we go way back, I'm going to admit what, it, what, what this situation, right? So I'm in the Mediterranean. It's February um, at night. And there's something low on the horizon that's blinking green and red. Uh -huh. um, we actually got a Sidewinder tone on it. It was that right. Because Sidewinder, as I described in my episode about the balloon shoot-on, when you say heat-seeking, it's what you're really talking about is the IR spectrum, and it's okay. light-seeking. So it, it comes out with differences in light, not in heat. So um, go back, tell the Intel guys, hey, I think we saw something can't quite explain. Uh -huh. And they immediately said, yeah, it was Mars. 
you know, Mars. It was the planet of Mars. <laughs> um, and, and so that's my UFO story. I but you managed to lock onto it. Is, <laughs> you can you can yeah. lock onto a planet. Well, you can get a you can get a, a sidewinder tone. Wow. Off of it because of right? light. Because of light. Yeah. Um, and so I think in my experience, anything that is a UFO has some if you, you know, walk that dog backwards, do the forensics, there's always some uh, explanation for what it is. And I go way back to the 50s when Area 51 was first created. Yeah, it was created for the U2 program and then for the uh, A-12, which became the SR-71. So airline pilots were seeing things as they're flying at 30,000 feet <laughs> right. up at 80,000 feet. Like nothing goes to eighty thousand feet, and yeah. so they're going up and talking to the the air traffic control and saying, "I see something I can't explain. I think it's a UFO." And then when the program is revealed to the public, they're like, "Oh, all of these U.S. UFO reports for the last you know five seven years were these test programs, these you know the the, the U2 program." So, but the thing you're talking about in two thousand and four with the Tic Tac, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that one's hard to explain. <laughs> right. Uh, and and I, I know uh, the female wingman um, and these are rational beings. The, the skipper was actually uh, leading that flight. Um, and so sometimes in spite of what I just said, there there is no explanation. Um, but my personal experience is, uh, you know, anytime I thought I saw something that was unexplainable. Yeah. When you sort of did the root cause, it, it really was something that was explainable. Ward Carroll with us here on Bloomberg Sound On. Lastly, we we learned a bit about radar this week. How come we were not picking up all of these objects in that 20, 30,000 foot uh, range if that's where commercial airliners are? And are we going to see these on a regular basis from now on? Is there that much junk up there? Yes, there's a lot of junk up there. Um, and this is what my astronaut friend, Scott Kelly, is is telling me. So I think the basic explanation, Joe, is when the first thing happened when the when the chinese spy balloon came overhead they sort of took the filter and reduced it mm-hmm. right so you can use a million analogies for that you know the mm-hmm. squelch on your radio or signal to noise ratio yeah as you bring that down then suddenly you see a lot of things um that that you weren't seeing before so i think that's the facile explanation for what we're seeing over the last week or so do you want to hear from the president on this um i i guess <laughs> I, you're not um, waiting around for an oval office address that's what well, all the uh, this, this gets into the you know the politics lane yeah, right, right um, of course. I, I i i don't look to him for my inspiration again you know me <laughs> i'm not maga but right. uh i guess i need to hear from the president uh like senator blackburn said there sure. um so sure let's hear from the president what's oh, he gonna man. say right so, yeah. I don't know. But when Ward Carroll's laughing, I'm listening. Find him on uh, the YouTube channel. I'm a subscriber. It's always a great pleasure. Ward Carroll, retired U.S. Navy commander. Anybody who flew in the F-14 just stands a couple feet taller than everyone else around him, right? Let's assemble the panel. Boyd Matheson is back with us. Republican strategist, former chief of staff for Senator Mike Lee, along with Tim Hogan, Democratic strategist, senior advisor, at ARC Initiatives, former comms director for Amy Klobuchar's presidential campaign. Gentlemen, it's great to have you both here. Boyd, do we need to hear from the president now? <laughs> I, I think it is time for the president uh, to speak. And not that he has a great deal more of information, 
I think it's just uh, what he needs to do uh, really for, for three distinct groups. I, need to, I think he needs to send a message to the American people that we're on this, we got this, and we're moving forward. Mm-hmm. I think he needs to send a message to our allies around the world that we are aware of this. We know you're dealing with these uh, issues as well. Let's do that. And he also needs to send a message to our enemies that we are going to protect our our sovereign territory uh, here in the United States. So uh, I think that the main thing, again, I don't think it needs to be a great in-depth dive. Sure. I think he needs to speak with the American people, not to him, not to them, not at them, uh, and really just create some some clarity. Uh, I think a little bit of, of communication from the leader, uh, I think, always creates clarity. And what right. we have right now is just confusion, which creates a vacuum for conspiracy theories and, and a lot of politics. And we don't need politics around this. Yeah. And I think you heard that coming out of the briefing today. The senators were yeah. very much in agreement in terms of, hey, this is what we got. The American people should hear most of this. Tim, uh, what's your thought here? Does the president need to address the nation just to, to, to give some calm, to provide some confidence, as Boyd is suggesting? Or does he need to learn more and have very specific information when he speaks? Well, I think we're hearing two different stories coming out of these briefings. There are a lot of Republicans out there right now saying he needs to address the nation. That's the decision that the president needs to make. But you do have some folks like Senator Mike Rounds uh, came out of the briefing and said that, they're trying to get us all the information that they can, but there's not a ton of new data. And, um, you know, until they actually get that information and more hard facts, we'll see. You have folks like Senator Gary Peters saying mm-hmm. they also feel like they need more information, that there haven't been completely definitive statements about recovering the debris. And so, yeah, there needs to be some communication to the American people. But I do think uh, that the Pentagon is doing a lot of that communication. A lot of our military leaders are. We see uh, Kirby at the podium communicating information about uh, military intelligence and what they know about these three objects and what part of intelligence collection effort they were. We'll see if we We learn more. It's the mothership. (laughs) Blooper. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. President Biden makes it official just about the time the closing bell rang. Lael Brainerd becomes his top economic aide replacing Brian D. So I'll be looking forward to hearing from tomorrow on Bloomberg. He's going to be talking 
on Balance of Power with David Weston. Uh, but this is something that's been in the works for some time. And there are a couple of moving parts here. President Biden also announcing appointments of other economic na- uh, aides, namely Jared Bernstein, who you've heard many times on this program as the new chair of the Council of Economic Advisors, uh, as Cecilia Rouse heads back to Princeton. Now, the deck chairs are being moved around here, the new float chart implemented as the latest CPI data hits. Consumer prices up briskly the start of the year. As I read on the terminal, a sign of persistent inflationary pressures that could push the Fed to hike rates even higher than previously expected. We spoke with economist Diane Swank about this earlier today on Bloomberg. She says that year-to-year comparison is a problem. Listen. Even though we had a little tick down in January on that core ex- a shelter component, it still is way too hot. And on a year-over-year basis, it's still very, very hot, which is important because remember a year ago, this is when inflation was just beginning to accelerate. So the year-on-year comparison should be easier, not harder. But it's still getting harder. That's Diane Swank again now at KPMG. And we're always glad to talk about this stuff with Mark Zandi, who is a great translator and, of course, the chief economist at Moody's Analytics. It's great to have you, Mark. Uh, this report, before I ask you about some of the personalities moving around in the White House here, does this report change your forecast at all for the Fed? No, no, no. I think they'll, they'll raise rates one more time in March, a quarter point another time in May, another quarter point. That would put the funds rate just north of 5%. And I think that's where they'll, they'll, they'll pause, they'll stop, take a look around. And my, my sense is that We'll get enough good news on inflation and the job market that that'll be the end of the rate hikes. Uh, not not that they're going to cut rates anytime soon. Sure. I don't think that happens in 2023, but I think a, a so-called terminal rate of just north of 5%, that feels about right to me. You point out in a great thread on Twitter uh, that the most encouraging part of this report for you is that we know the cost of housing, which accounts for a, a big chunk of the CPI. Uh, is set to slow as rents go soft. What does that mean as well for 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 home single family home prices? Well, I mean, uh, the cost of housing services is a third of the CPI, so it's a big chunk of the consumer price index, and yeah. we know that that's going to moderate, right, Joe? Because rents have gone flat, and that's going to be very positive with regard to those year over year inflation numbers by the end of the year. And then we also know that. New vehicle prices, which continue to move higher, they're going to start moving south, too, because vehicle production is going to improve globally as uh, supply chains ease, given what China has done. And that'll help a lot, too. So I think by the end of the year, year over year, CPI inflation, which is north of 6 percent now, will be closer to three. So I think we're you know, headed in the right direction. But, you know, with regard to house prices, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they obviously are, are weakening. Uh, they're, they, they peak back in the summer, July, they're down a couple percentage points. I expect more declines because affordability has been hammered. Uh, you know, you've got much higher house prices given what happened during the pandemic and now higher mortgage rates and, and affordability needs to be restored. And that can only happen in, in, in three different ways. Either house prices decline, incomes rise and mortgage rates decline. Fall, I expect at some point all three things will happen. So we'll get more price declines uh, yeah. you know, here going forward. Some interesting moves today at the White House. Uh, I don't know how much they mean to you in the real world here, but uh, Lael Brainerd, uh, going to replace Brian Deese, and you can weigh in on that if you choose, is going to create an opening at the Fed. And I wonder which one you're more concerned with. Well, I'm, I'm a fan of Lael Brainerd and, and Jared Bernstein, you know, as head of 
the Council of Economic Advisors, they both yeah. have a, a long history working with President Biden and the rest of the administration. You, you know, they've been in Lael was in, you know in the Treasury and at the Fed, and Jared's been was Vice President Vice President Biden back in the Obama administration, so Chief Economic Advisor. So mm-hmm. he, they're they're very good, and I think they'll be you know excellent at their jobs. So I'm very encouraged by that, uh, and you know I I, I do think uh, there are a lot of good choices for. Uh, you know, uh, taking uh, go, going on the Fed, and so I don't think the Fed will have any trouble finding the right kind of people there. So I feel pretty good about the personnel changes. So, I, you know, Brian Deese is great. Mm-hmm. C. Rouse is fantastic, but uh, you know they've got uh, you know, good folks stepping in here. So I, I feel pretty good about uh, the advice the president's going to be getting here over the next couple of years. Is there much sunlight between Brian Deese and Lael Brainerd for for the benefit of our listeners? Do you see them as as having different styles, different types of economists? Oh, that's an interesting question. Uh, you know, I, they're very similar in their perspectives and the way they think about things. So I don't think there are big differences there. You know, obviously they, they have different approaches. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, but uh, both are, I think, are going to land. Would land. You know, decent, uh, Brian Deese did a fantastic job, and Leo will do a great job as well. But but they are very kind of different in terms of their styles. But in terms of their perspectives and how they approach policy, I think very similar. Great talk, as always, with Mark Sandy. I appreciate it, Mark. Moody's Analytics Chief Economist. Let's play it to the panel here. Boyd Matheson, Republican strategist, joined today by Tim Hogan, Democratic strategist. As we find our way through all of this, uh, this is the this is the tough part here, uh, obviously, Boyd, when you start talking about inflation, that CPI data today and encouraged some. It had others predicting continued interest rate hikes. But this is clearly uh, not a problem that has been solved. It may be going in the right direction. Wall Street sure thinks that the Fed has this licked. But if you're Joe Biden right now and you're considering the the possibility of a recession in the second half of this year, if too much hiking follows, this is still a great concern for you as you prepare to run for reelection. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Threading the needle is the real trick for President Biden right now. Obviously, he wants to tap the positives of the job numbers and so on. Uh, he tried to do a lot of that in the State of the Union address, mm-hmm. and his biggest challenge is is making sure that what he's touting and saying is positive actually is congruent with what the American people are feeling, living, and experiencing around the kitchen table. And sometimes they're trying to do that by more redefining of definitions. Uh, today, even just the emphasis on the super core inflation, where you take out food, <laughs> energy, and shelter. If, yes. if we take everything out, we will get inflation to zero. Uh, but the American <laughs> yes, we people will. are still going to be suffering. And so, again, I think it's regardless of whether you love the president or you don't like the president, it's a communication issue. Uh, and he's got to thread that needle because if what he's saying and the American people are living are not congruent, mm. then he does have a problem. Well, Tim Hogan, if he's going to communicate anything, it's the job market. And he certainly did that in State of the Union. He does that almost every time he's in front of a microphone. 3.4% unemployment gives the Fed a lot of room to play with here. And it could keep this country out of a recession. Is that how you see it? Well, I think so. And I also think it is the message that he's communicating and is a little in track with what Mark Zandi was saying, which is there does appear to be a cost slowdown um, in housing and in rents. Issues like vehicle production year over year, we do think that CPI inflation is going to continue to come down. Uh, we saw in the previous month 517,000 jobs created, over 1,200 million jobs created since he took office, lowest unemployment rate since 1969. So absolutely, it is about 
what people are feeling in this economy. Uh, but we look at different places where there have been inflation. Gas prices are down about a buck sixty from their peak last year. So there's still work to be done, but they are doing the work, I think, is what needs to be underlined. How important is this uh, realignment after two years here in, in the White House, uh, Boyd? We saw the labor secretary make a move. Press secretary left a few months back. It's been actually probably six months at this point. Uh, but but no real internal noise uh, on the economic team until now. Is is this par for the course for an administration halfway yeah. through the first term? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anything. Uh, I don't think there's any panic buttons being pushed or people trying to bail on anything. Uh, I think this is just natural adjustment and mm-hmm. course of business inside of a of a White House. Uh, again, I think the the real issues will be what comes next and making sure they're communicating what they're doing, how they're approaching these issues to the American people. Again, not at them with them and helping them feel yeah. like, hey, now this team that we have now is on your side and we're trying to push everything forward. I think that's the key for the administration. Tim, Lyle Brainerd has been framed as uh, a bit more dovish than Jay Powell. That was some of the concern when she was floated for uh, Fed chair, that she has more concern about people's jobs and, and income being impacted by a series of interest rate hikes. Uh, she can feel your pain, I guess, is the idea. Does that make her more suited to be sitting next to Joe Biden in the West Wing? I think in terms of communicating the message, yes, it is understanding what the economy means to people day to day. Um, And there are a lot of metrics that show that there's hope in the future. And I think it is having messengers who can communicate that, that 10 million new businesses have been created, that people are actually sitting on a trillion dollars of additional savings from the pandemic, that inflation adjusted wealth in the middle class has actually gone up. Um, Being able to get that message out uh, and not as your, uh, as, as my fellow panelists, as you're not just talk at people, but have a conversation with the American public about what's happening in the economy. Boyd Matheson, Tim Hogan with us. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 5 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. So will Donald Trump have a nickname for Nikki Haley? Does he have one already? This book been going pretty easy on her since news first broke that she would announce a campaign for the White House. And she did so this morning out with a well-produced video. That's how you do it now. You need a video in which the former governor of South Carolina made her case. Listen. Republicans have lost the popular vote in seven out of the last eight presidential elections. That has to change. Joe Biden's record is abysmal, but that shouldn't come as a surprise. Current polls, though, show a lot of work ahead. For Nikki Haley, also the former U.N. ambassador in the Trump administration. Uh, Single digits in the polls. We've talked about this before. Very little name recognition. Considering a crowded field dominated by Donald Trump, by the likes of Ron DeSantis, and potentially other members of the Trump administration, right? We talk about Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence. Who else could there be? She had earlier said she would not uh, challenge Donald Trump, by the way, but I guess they got on the phone. He said, follow your heart. Let's assemble the panel. Ought to be first. Boyd Matheson, Republican strategist, former chief of staff for Senator Mike Lee is with us, along with Tim Hogan, Democratic strategist, senior advisor, ARC Initiatives, was once comms director for Amy Klobuchar's presidential campaign. So here we go again, uh, Tim. Your advice to Nikki Haley, who would want to share a stage with Donald Trump? I, you know, candidates cannot run for president 
and not confront Donald Trump on the Republican side. Is so she I looking she for a vice presidential nod here. Is that what this is? Uh, maybe it's it's entirely possible. That's that's what it is. You know, she was on Hannity back in late January teasing her uh, announcement. And he, he asked a good question of her that she still hasn't answered, which is what is the policy difference that you have with Donald Trump? Uh, and I don't know what it is. She has a record that is just as abysmal that Democrats can draw some contrast with. But you just can't run in the Republican primary and hope that Donald Trump ignores you. I, I don't know what the yeah. nickname is yet for Nikki Haley. You know, Meatball Ron. I know he's workshopping. Not too bad. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what he comes up with. Meatball. Well, I, the sanctimonious. I mean, boy, you're not going to get better that than the bad. sanctimonious, not right? Good. <laughs> I, he was I feel like that was an early draft and he's okay. moved on. He's moved on to Meatball. <laughs> Boyd Matheson, uh, Nikki Haley has a great story to tell. Can she get around Donald Trump or is that not the point? She wants to be with Donald Trump. Uh, you know, I, I think she does have a story to tell. And it's really interesting. And Tim gets this. Uh, his his former boss, uh, Senator Klobuchar, you know, went with really long odds and you know yep. was probably inside the margin of error when she started. Uh, but she had a story to tell and, and she made some great inroads. Uh, I actually wish she would have gone farther. Uh, and, and so you have to look at that from an overall perspective, but I'd love to be in the room and I bet Tim would too, uh, with the Nikki Haley group to say, okay, when you're <laughs> going to launch such an endeavor, you first, you have to look at the polling numbers. You have to have a reality check there. Right. Then you have to be able to identify a lane. Is there a lane to run in? Uh, and then can you raise the money to actually do it? But I think in terms of a lane, I think you can see what she's trying to do, whether she can get traction on it will be a test, but starting with that very simple idea of, look, Republicans have lost seven out of the last eight popular votes. Maybe we should try something a little different. Uh, now, I don't know that the Republican Party has appetite for that uh, when mm -hmm. you're most likely going to have Ron DeSantis and, and Donald Trump uh, trading nicknames and, and body blows. Uh, but maybe she's hoping that she'll have a lane enough that if those two uh, kind of divide things amongst themselves, yeah, there, right. there may be enough scraps over to have a lane. Let's uh, bring you back to 2016. little harp music here in my mind. This is Nikki Haley <laughs> with Marco Rubio on stage in South Carolina. She's stumping for Rubio and took aim at then-candidate Donald Trump, said she taught her two kids to not be like him and went on to say this. I taught my two little ones. You don't lie and make things up. I taught my two little ones that you don't push people around and just tell them what you think should happen. And I told my two little ones to do exactly what Marco Rubio did in the last debate. When a bully hits you, you hit that bully right back. Boy, Marco Rubio looks really uncomfortable. It's like, man, this is about to get really tough. And it did get tough. Is that water under the bridge because he was still a candidate, Tim? Uh, in, in a certain sense, yes. I mean, you know, she our politics are fluid, right? Mm -hmm. And if, if she is running for uh, vice president, she, she was part of, uh, you know, the, the Trump administration. So Trump has shown that if people come back and grovel to him, that th that he will, you know, potentially uh, throw them a bone. But, you know, the story that she has to tell, she, she may have one in the Republican primary, but I just think the lane of not Trump is is very small and it has shrunk and the message that you're hearing from her there in 2016 i don't even know that we're going to really 
hear that from a viable candidate in in 2024. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I believe that someone has to stand up to Trump in the primary, but I do think the cast of characters that you're going to get are going to be pretty lame and weak in terms of drawing contrast with the president. I mean, it's, it's to be seen, um, but, uh, you know, she's she's said before she was running that she was uh, going to support Trump in 2024 yeah, and right. will not run if he runs. Now she's running. I, I don't know what she's I don't know what the plan is, to be honest. And the thing, Boyd, the first debate is less than six months away. If I have this right, six months away in Milwaukee. How big is this field going to be, Boyd Matheson? Uh, you know, I think it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be huge. I, I think there's a lot of folks who are going to look at it and figure that there's there's just not a clear path there and stay on the sidelines. And uh, I, I do think Nikki Haley. I was actually in the room uh, that day that she uh, introduced Marco Rubio uh, way back then. And I also thought it was very interesting today uh, that she actually alluded back to that. She ended by talking about yeah. kicking a bully. And the fact that it's always hurts a little more when you've got spike peels on That's right. and uh, kind of took a little <laughs> shot at the former president. So I, I think the field will not be there's a lot of names obviously being floated there, floated there, including another South Carolinian, uh, Senator Tim Scott, uh, right. which would make the South Carolina early primary for the Republicans uh, really interesting. But uh, in terms of getting to there, I don't think it, we're going to see a 16, 18 right. like we did in 2016 or, or with the Democrats in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other big uh, breaker today in the world of politics brings us to California. It was Dianne Feinstein. Maybe uh, you guys are not surprised because a lot of folks have been waiting for this. She's not running for a seventh term. Now, this opens up uh, a lane to potentially more candidates, but we've already got Adam Schiff. We've already got Katie Porter. Tim, this is going to be an important one to watch, and I suspect a very expensive race. Yeah, always, always an expensive race in California. Um, you know, Senator Feinstein has had an incredible uh, career in public service. Um, she came into the Senate as a, a reformer, and it's a big announcement from her today. Yeah. Obviously, like you said, we've seen some people who got ahead here in uh, Representative Schiff and Representative Porter. Uh, it is going to be a tough primary. It is a expensive place to compete. Um, and at the same time, the test of being able to raise money uh, is infinitely more important in a state uh, like California. So we'll see very early on who's able to separate themselves in that pack. And to think I didn't have time to bring up Carrie Lake. She spent two days in Iowa over the weekend. Boyd Matheson and Tim Hogan, stay right where you are. We're going to have some final thoughts as we go back to where we started. The fastest hour in politics. Think balloons. And something that you won't hear anywhere else coming up next. With our panel, Boyd and Tim on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. 
I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 5 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. I believe it was Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas who this morning said, well, no one's buying balloons this Valentine's Day. As he emerged from his classified briefing, that, of course, in the wake of the China balloon fiasco and everything that has followed the three unidentified flying objects that we have shot down since then. We spoke today, Bloomberg, by the way, and specifically Bloomberg Sound On, has a vast production staff. And we reached out today to Pat Cannon, who's the president of the Balloon Federation of America. Yes, of course, there's one. A 501c3 nonprofit that writes itself here, dedicated to the advancement of the sport and science of lighter-than-air aviation, both hot air and gas balloons. Yes, I said gas balloons. This is important now. They may not be concerned with Valentine's Day, but they are concerned with people trying to be heroes. That gas balloon I mentioned looks a lot like the China balloon that we shot down. And Pat Cannon's worried that people might try some sort of vigilante act here if they see one floating over their property. Listen. So I guess our concern is, is that uh, that there are people out there that would see one of these balloons and, well, I'm going to save the world, so I'm going to shoot down another spy balloon and maybe take a pot shot at one of these balloons. Mm-hmm. Um, they only fly at probably five to 10,000 feet, which would be well within the range of a, of a, um, a high projectile or a high uh, projectile cartridge from a rifle. And guess what? They're full of hydrogen because helium is so expensive. And Pat Cannon tells us this is a man of experience. He is... The balloon maestro, as I read on Facebook, he says this has actually happened before. Here he is again. Uh, it has happened before. It happened many, many years ago in Belarus, where a gas balloon that was in, involved in a race in Europe was actually shot down by an airplane, shot down by an aircraft and killed both the pilot and the uh, other, the second pilot on board that balloon. And that could happen again from some farmer, he says, who decides to shoot a gun up. It depends on what altitude the balloon is at it would be explosive so final thoughts with our panel here boyd matheson and tim hogan as we get back to the idea of president biden making an oval office address boyd wouldn't this be enough reason here look here's what we know by the way don't take pot shots at any balloons that you see yeah no 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 heroes uh needed (laughs) do not do not apply. Uh, do not fire the rifle straight up into the air. And, yeah. uh, and whether that one comes from the president or somebody else, that one should just be made very clear to the public. Uh, let's not be going after our hot air balloon enthusiasts. They're, they're uh, part of our American uh, tapestry as well. Here, here. And there, you know, there are various gas balloons, I guess, for various things here. Tim, maybe it's time for a little education uh, for all Americans because no one seems to know what they're talking about. Look, I think... There are ways of communicating with the American people that are not always just an Oval Office address. I feel like we've really narrowed ourselves into that's the mechanism we got to do it just to get the word out not to shoot down our hot air balloon enthusiasts, which is something I agree with. But there are ways of getting that message out. He's got trusted messengers in the military from the Pentagon at the podium 
talking about this. I agree. There's there has been a demand and a call for more information, and I think it's going to come out. I just yeah. am, I'm not sure. And the president has to make this decision whether it's got to be from the Oval. You got to think, Boyd, they never had such a busy week at the Balloon Federation of America. The press office has got to be burning down there. <laughs> Yeah, they, uh, they they are definitely filing for some overtime uh, there at the, uh, the Balloon Federation. Who knew? Thank you both for humoring me, Boyd Matheson and Tim Hogan. Great panel, great discussion. I remember as a kid, you'd look up, you'd see that lone balloon, the stray balloon flying away that clearly some poor child let go or lost. My mother used to look up and say, well, some kid's crying somewhere. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash FutureInvestor slash radio. 